Hey folks, and welcome to the Grad School Sucks podcast, the show for grad students and academics who want to take their career into industry. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Carlson, and today I want to talk to you a little bit about my journey to industry and the steps that any grad student and academic can take to prepare to be on the industry job market. I have six steps that I'm going to talk about specifically, and the clip that I'm going to share actually comes from a live workshop that I did uh, yesterday. At the time of this recording, it will be yesterday. At the time this episode is released, it will have been two days before, and that's the reason that this episode is coming out a day late. It takes a bunch of prep work to get ready to put on and then execute a good live webinar. And I tend to do live webinars or workshops pretty much every month. And so if you're ever interested, you can subscribe to my email list or go to gradschoolsucks.com and look at my events tab or webinars tab and you'll be able to see what different live workshops I have coming up. So let's jump right into it. Here are the six steps that it takes to prepare yourself as an academic or a PhD for the transition to industry. So here's how to not get a job. And this is exactly what I did when I dusted myself off after leaving academia and figured out that a consistent paycheck would be really nice and maybe some health benefits. Uh, The thing to do is to make a resume and then just start sending it out broadly to everything you could possibly imagine. That's exactly what I did. And it didn't go very well, as you might guess. I sent out over 200 applications over a two-month period, and I got very few interviews and ultimately no offers. Or I may have gotten a very low-paying offer that I didn't seriously consider. And that bummed me out even more because being jobless is, of course, not a positive experience. And frankly, when you have the that bummed out feeling when you're on the job market, recruiters can sense it. That's also not a great place to be. Eventually, I did some research. I found other people who'd gone through this, and I discovered that there's a much easier way to doing it. And it's really not that much more hard work. It's just more focused. So let's jump into the easy way to make a transition into industry. First thing you're going to do is you're going to identify possible career paths. And I say possible because not every career path is going to be something that you can just jump into, as I found out. And the best way to do that is to find PhDs who've already made it to industry and you find them through LinkedIn and you discover what kinds of careers they have. Maybe you discover what did they have first and what do they have now and you get to see a little bit of their trajectory. Maybe you discover the kinds of industries that people from your field tend to end up in. An example from my own life is I was applying for jobs in the three big sectors for data analytics, healthcare, business, and marketing. And guess who was the only sector to consistently give me phone calls for phone screens for interviews? It was healthcare because I'd analyzed data related to health outcomes for children who'd experienced traumatic experiences. And I'd also worked in the healthcare system as a behavioral health therapist. Of course, I wasn't necessarily working on all the same things that I do now in my career in healthcare data analytics, but it was enough of a parallel thing 
that I was able to get my foot in the door there. So you never know where that advantage is going to be. So talking with people who are from your fields is a great way to figure that out. And you do that through informational interviews. They're also called coffee chats. And then you make informed decisions with those data that you're gathering from the source, the straight source, not just someone with an opinion, someone with experiences that map onto yours. And here's exactly how you do it. You go to LinkedIn. I don't know if you can see my mouse cursor. You go to LinkedIn. Here on the right, in the search bar, it says PhD in psychology, and it says it in quotes. It's exactly what you're going to do. You're going to put PhD in whatever your field is or master's in whatever your field is, and you're going to click on the people tab, and you're going to look at all of these profiles. You're going to see a lot of different kinds of people, and not everyone is going to be a perfect match with who you are and who you want to become with your career. And there will be a lot of students, a lot of academics. And I encourage you, if you need to expand this field at all, you could try searching adjacent fields. So for me in human development and family science, that meant going into family psychology, developmental psychology, maybe even anthropology to discover more career paths that people had taken. And I will note, there is a limit on free searches that you can do on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, it seems like more and more is restricting their free capabilities that they offer people and really just pushing more people towards premium. And premium is like $50 a month, maybe $60 at this point. And I think it's definitely worth it when you're actively applying to jobs. And actively applying means you want a job in the next three or four months and you are spending a significant amount of time, at least five to 10 hours a week, applying daily. So if you're in that position, I think getting LinkedIn premium is a great choice. But let's move on. Number two, you're going to build your professional network. So you remember just one step ago, we found all these people. So now what you're going to do is you're going to reach out to them. And you could build your network in other ways, like in-person events, handing out business cards, doing all that. But I think that one way, informational interviews with PhDs on LinkedIn, that is a surefire way to grow your network and learn what you need to learn in order to get a foot in the door for your first job. To do these coffee chats, you've already found the PhDs. All you got to do is connect with them and then ask them to meet. Video chat is obviously what we typically do today. That's a great way to do it. And just talk to them. And you don't have to make it an hour. Literally 20 minutes or even 15 minutes is enough to gather some good information from PhDs from your field who already have an industry job. And then you'll make some requests at the end. Maybe if they have, <coughs> excuse me, my throat's a little dry. If they have a res or if they have a job that you know you want, you could ask them for a copy of their resume so that you could uh, use it as a guide on your own. Many people are pretty amenable to, to handing out their resume. And that is a great way to go about making your first resume instead of just starting from a blank page, which is a terrible experience. Then you're also going to say, do you know two or three people who you think I should talk to? And they're going to end up knowing other people in similar roles from similar fields who will be able to expand your network even more. Frankly, just reaching out to four or five people could lead to you networking with 10, 20, or even 30 because of the snowball effect of networking. Oh, and I have a couple gifts for you all who've attended 
live and I will drop the link in 10 to 15 minutes in the chat and tell you how to get these free resources. But one of them is just a little connection request that you can copy and paste and fill in with your own information. You are really limited on the kinds of characters that you can send on LinkedIn. So I've got a good guide for that. And then I also have a coffee chat guide for folks who just haven't done a coffee chat before, and they'd love some example questions to look at and the reminders at the end. So I've got that available for you as well. So just hang in there for another 10 to 15 minutes and we'll get to that. And this is frankly the thing that so many people push back on. And I really want to encourage you, just reach out. The first one or two might be a little awkward, but it'll become really normal. And the insight that you gain from doing these informational interviews is more valuable than hours on YouTube. It's more valuable than reading a book on how to get a job. It's honestly could be even more valuable than coaching. The, the connection and the insight with PhDs who've walked your path and who are where you want to get to, it's just, frankly, I would pay money to have that. And the best part is you don't even have to pay. The vast majority of PhDs in industry are very happy to talk to grad students and academics who want to make the journey over to industry. You just got to reach out. All right, that brings us to step three, selecting a career path. And I say a career path, not multiple career paths. One, one job title, one career path. And the way I would recommend selecting it is after you do some informational interviews, I would think at least three or four, if not five or six, or I have a group coaching program. I just wrapped up my first cohort last week. And one person told me that they had done 10 informational interviews during the time that we've been meeting. And I think that's about right, especially if you don't know exactly the kind of job that you want to pursue. Anyway, once you get all that data, it really comes down to what, what's going to work out the best. And you're going to have different things that you value. Obviously, like the opening question, people said mental health, better pay, work-life balance, stability. I think all those are great. And so you're going to weigh what's most important to you and how that aligns with the kinds of jobs you're looking at. And of course, the likelihood of getting the job. And frankly, the first job you get in industry is going to be the hardest one. Typically, it'd be the hardest one because you got to make that leap. You got to show that you're not just someone who reads books and writes papers. You're also someone who can produce value for an, a, a for-profit organization. And I know you can. You just have to show it and get the job and then keep on going. And if you don't like it, it's very easy to get a new job in industry. It's much easier than it is in academia. I had 15 publications and grant money, and I couldn't land another academic job. And I could have downgraded from a research scientist to a postdoc, but I was the main bread earner and that wouldn't have been a great decision, and I wanted to move closer to home, I should have just gone to industry sooner. Anyway, much easier to switch jobs in industry than academia. All right, step four. We're over halfway done with this part. You're going to create some application materials. Now, notice we're doing this after we do informational interviews. 
You've been able to absorb all that information. You've gathered some resumes from folks you can use as examples. You now know people to emulate. And guess what? You can just pull up their LinkedIn profiles. And so you're going to start by using these people and their resumes and their LinkedIn profiles as templates. And ultimately, you will end up not using the majority of your CV. I don't have my um, my resume pulled up, or I'm not able to share it right now. But if I were to share it to you and I were to compare it to my CV, it would look very different. The things I emphasize would be very different. I I have one line on my CV where I mention the number of publications and conference presentations that I gave. And frankly, that was like five or six pages on my CV. So you'll end up just redoing everything. And that's okay. That's just how it is. And an example layout of how to do an industry resume is at the top career achievements. Obviously, you have contact input at the top, but career achievements, just a couple lines about top level things that you've delivered, whether it's research projects that you've managed, grant dollars you've won, et cetera, et cetera. Then the main body is going to be your work experience. That should cover at least 50% of the page, focusing on quantified impact. And then, of course, your education at the very bottom, just the top level details of your education. Here's a good example. And again, if you attended live, I will give this to you. It's a Word doc. You can literally just fill in your information and uh, yeah, move along. I will say, will I say, I will say that I recommend once you fill out this template that I give you, uh, that you go on, let's say like Etsy or Canva, or there's a couple other sites where you can get resume templates. It'll only cost you 10 or $15 to get a resume template, something that looks really sharp and makes you stand out from the crowd. And just think about it. How many resumes out there are, have used the same Google Doc resume template and the same Word Doc resume template? You just need to stand out a little bit. And again, the industry PhDs that you're networking with and gathering resumes from will be good people to uh, talk to and look at their resume and see what they've got going on. Because different sectors and different jobs have different trends with resumes, whether it's like color or the amount of text on the page or the things that they emphasize. But yeah, 10 or 20 bucks will get you a great resume template. But this is a good start. You, you want to just copy paste into the fancy resume templates, not actually do much editing there. All right. And then moving on to your LinkedIn profile. Again, you're not going to reinvent the wheel. You're not going to spend a ton of time on this. You're just going to emulate what others have done. There are five sections that you want to focus on. Five. Number one is your photos. You actually have two photos on LinkedIn. You have your profile photo, which you can just steal from your university website, or just have a friend take a picture of you against a plain wall. And you have your banner photo or background photo, I think is the other term used for it. It's the one at the very top of your page, very top. And if you go to canva.com, with a free account, you can find lots of downloadable banner photos, many of which are like tailored for like specific careers. Like I found one for data analytics. I found another one for healthcare. Some are gated behind the pro version, which is probably like 10 bucks a month, but there's a ton of free options too, and they look pretty good. So if you need something to fill that space, I'd definitely go to Canva. Next is your headline, and your headline serves two purposes. 
The first one is SEO. And I recommend putting the exact job title you want at the beginning of your headline. And that's because when recruiters need to fill a position, they literally, as if LinkedIn is Google, they go into LinkedIn's back end with their like recruiter login and they type out <coughs> the exact job title that they need to fill because typically they're filling it with other people who already have that job title. So if you put that job title in your headline, recruiters are going to see it and just reach out to you. They'll just DM you, hey, I've got this job, please apply. And when you're reached out to like that, you have a much better chance of getting the job than when you're just cold applying. The second part of your headline is like a branding element. And that's where you talk a little bit about the top level, the, the like bird's eye view value that you bring. And so my headline is healthcare data analyst. And then I have a dash. And then it says... I use data to, to ensure healthcare delivers the value for low-income families or something like that because I work in the Medicaid space. And so it's providing a little bit of context for a recruiter who has a lot of profiles to look at. And so they just want to know a little snapshot of who you are. And maybe that will compel them to look at the next thing that you're going to look at, your about section. Your about section is where you get to do a little bit more storytelling. I would recommend thinking about a three paragraph structure where you generally talk about the large picture of where you've come from, the middle picture about like the skills you bring, and then the very end paragraph is about what you're looking for specifically right now, like what kind of position. And I would even get so focused as to say, not just the job title, but even the industry. If you'd selected an industry, whether it's like tech or healthcare or bioinformatics or manufacturing or whatever it ends up being. And then after your about section is your experiences section. And this you can largely copy and paste from your resume. That's what I tend to do. You can change it into full sentences or you can do paragraphs, but bullets are still pretty accepted there. And you really just want to fill this out because once a recruiter gets to your about section, they'll look at your experiences and they might get down to your skills because you're starting to lose them. They'll give you like 10 to 15 seconds, maybe, and then they'll make a decision about whether to invite you to apply or they'll do a first round phone screen with you. And so your experiences is good, but it's not as important as your about section and the others, in my opinion. The last one is your skills section. And this is important for two reasons. One, because if a job is actually in the LinkedIn portal, if a company or a recruiter is paying for the recruiter package and you're applying through LinkedIn instead of going to a company website to apply, your skills on your profile will match or not match with the skills in the job description and they'll basically rank you based on that. So you need to be looking at the kinds of jobs you're applying for, looking at their skills section and really scraping it for the kinds of skills that you need to be highlighting in your profile. You can have up to 50 skills and the top five skills are your most important and they'll actually be displayed in your about section. I know that was a lot of information, but LinkedIn is the very end of all this prep work. Once you get your resume, it's just boom, taking it down from there. All right, and then you're ready to apply. 
So you start applying as soon as you have a great resume or even a good resume or even a satisfactory resume. I would start applying because you never know who's going to see it, who's going to think you're a great fit. And industry is not like academia. We're in academia. If you apply to a job, so-and-so knows your mentor. And if your application wasn't good, they'll like bad talk you to your mentor. It's not like that at all. It's just it's not personal. You apply, you get the job or you get an interview, you don't get it. It's fine. You can apply again later. Um, so start applying as soon as you feel comfortable. All you really need is that resume. LinkedIn as well, but less. And then keep track of your applications. I tend to tell people that one to 200 jobs is on average what people have to apply to to get an industry job. And those are cold jobs. Those are cold applications. If you have warm leads on getting a job, maybe you know someone at a, at a company and they have a position available and it's aligned with the kind of skills that you have a much higher chance of getting a job through that. And so you should definitely, if you are able to, put disproportionate amount of work and energy and focus into warm leads. I also, I apply to cold leads and warm leads when I'm on the job market. Obviously the warm leads I give more attention to. I also do cold leads though, because you just never know who's going to pick you up. And the job that I have now, I got through a cold application. I did not know someone on the team. A hundred job applications is typically what I re recommend. It's like a one to 10 going from 10 applications will give you one interview. 10 interviews will give you one offer, or it may be 20 to one, 20 to one, depending on how competitive the market is and how competitive you are. And then I would keep doing informational interviews. Job experts actually recommend you spend as much time doing informational interviews or doing networking as you do applying. And the more connections you have, the more chances you have for getting a referral, that warm lead that is much higher likelihood to get you a job. And then it's time to get ready for job interviews. I think getting ready for job interviews just sucks all the time. Because unless you do them consistently, it's like it's like any skill, it starts to atrophy. And then you got to get back into the spirit of it and get your energy back. And so I would recommend thinking through some usual questions that are asked in interviews and preparing stories that you can use to display how your skills can deliver value to the organization. Doing a mock interview can also really help. I love doing mock interviews, both like being the person being interviewed and also the one doing the interviewing. I think that nothing can really prepare you for an interview quite like having to talk to another human. And another bonus for those who showed up live, I've got just a list of some questions that I think you should prepare for. All right, last part for this section, how to address a skill gap. And a skill gap is when you don't have a skill that's required. And when I say it's required, it's like actually required because a lot of times in job postings, they'll say something is required, but if you meet four out of five, they'll probably give you a pass. And this is particularly true in smaller to mid-sized companies. In larger companies, sometimes there's less of a leeway. But as an example, I wanted to be a data analyst. I didn't know SQL. I applied to jobs in my first round when I did the bad job search. And I didn't know SQL, I didn't try to teach myself, didn't do anything, didn't do any legwork. And it showed. And the second time, I did some upskilling first, I learned SQL, 
I made like a little project using SQL to, to show to recruiters and that went much better. So if you perceive you need a skill gap, I think upskilling can be really a really easy way to address that. Really depends on the kind of job that you're trying to get. And of course, doing the informational interviews will tell you everything you need to know about that. Both what kinds of skills you need and then whether or not you need to upskill before job, before getting a job, or you can just upskill on the job. And frankly, I would say I did both. I upskilled before getting the job, and then I've learned probably more in the job, if I'm being honest, than I did before. And of course, books and YouTube are fine. I'm really preferential to online courses, even the ones you have to pay for. I paid for Coursera for, I don't know, two or three months. It was about 100 bucks to do the Google Data Analytics certificate. I don't particularly think that certificate is the gold standard or something that PhDs necessarily need to do. It can get very basic when it comes to data because it's made for people who don't necessarily come from a data background. Um, the thing I will say about looking at courses is to make sure you get one that builds in a portfolio project at the end where you use some publicly available data or if you're if you want to go to into UX user experience design and you need to learn Figma, you're going to make some kind of mock-up at the end that you can use. And portfolios, frankly, are more important than certificates for most fields. I think cybersecurity certificates are very important, but for the vast majority of fields, portfolio projects that you can show to a recruiter go a long way. But again, this is an optional step. I would only start doing this once you're applying to interview or once you're applying to jobs and you can see that you're not making the headway that you want. Okay, I think we're doing okay on time. Again, six general steps, identifying possible career paths, building your network, selecting one, one career path to follow. Frankly, because every time you split your time and focus, it's going to become less effective. You don't need one generic resume. You need one very specific resume. And if you have to do that for three different kinds of jobs, that's much more time. And then what are you going to do with your LinkedIn profile? You can only have one LinkedIn profile. And create your resume and LinkedIn profile and then apply and keep networking. And then consider addressing gaps in experience and skills. All right, folks, those are my six steps to going from academia to industry. If you are interested in a checklist that breaks down these six steps into bite-sized little mini steps that you can use to track your own progress over time, you can literally check things off as you do them and prepare for your industry job search. You can get that at sixweekchecklist.com or you can scroll down and click the link in my bio to download that today. All right, thank you for listening and I will see you all next week.